three, two, one. This is where you introduce yourself. Oh, okay. I didn't know if you were going to say go or not. I'm sorry. Go. (laughs) Hey, everybody. My name is Sarah Emoto, and welcome to the Training for Ultra podcast. I want to say her follow-up to her first ultra run was maybe the most epic follow-up of all times. So you'll get to hear some insights from really an experienced, talented ultra runner. Excited to share this episode with you guys. I have some exciting news. The TV show trailer is going to drop on Thursday. So I know a lot of people are really asking, when is this coming out? What can I expect? They want to see some footage. And they're getting excited. And again, I did the TV show just to inspire people. That's the only objective. And now more than ever, I think we need some external, you know, input that's uh, maybe sports related because there's no sports or anything going on. Um, and we're all basically in quarantine at this point. So I think, you know, the the TV show will hopefully just kind of entertain you and educate you and peel back the cover on what it's like to run a 200 miler. I really think a lot of you guys are much more capable than you might believe yourself. And so hopefully this, you know, shows you some of what the triple crown is all about. And big thank you to the Patreon supporters, people within the shout out crew are now growing. We have Todd, Richard, Brian, Ray, Pat, Meg, Matthew, Landon's a new one. Thank you. David, Brian, just huge supporters. And every one of you on Patreon, you know, appreciate your support. And we're going to have episode 134 dedicated to you guys. Going to have a conversation with about 10 Patreon supporters all about ultra running and whatever they want to talk about. So that will be fun. I look forward to sharing that one. Big thank you to Destination Trail. Check out the virtual races they're putting on. I know I I did an episode with Tommy Byrne and Bigger Than the Trail and their big block party ultra, which is on ultra sign up, is coming up. It's this Saturday, May 16th. But Destination Trail also has a bunch of virtual races that are popping up and Candice is always super creative and I love the ideas they're coming up with. Plus, you get those almost trademark Destination Trail belt buckles. So, highly recommend checking that out. And we'll have to catch up with Candace Burt here shortly. Big thank you to longtime supporter Hammer Nutrition. If you want to try them out, feel free to use my referral promo code 252888 to save 15% off your first order. Big thank you to Go- Kogala. Night running's never easy. I truly think having a Kogala light with whatever battery size you want in a waist belt is truly like one of the better solutions available, especially for those multi-day races or just really long hundred milers, you know, in the mountains that take hours and hours. Big thank you to Kogala and check out the show notes for a discount code there. And big thank you to Exoskin. We're going to chat with Croy here just real briefly to hear more about Exoskin. Uh, Exoskin works basically because of the design and the technology that we have uh, invested in the patents on. Um, 
you know, that, that story about Moab 240 and you trying something new uh, is fantastic. And it, it was probably one of the longest weekends of my life just because I was paying attention to the race, not watching, and uh, waiting to see how your feet were at the finish. Because regardless of how good the technology is, we can't foresee or prevent, you know, scenarios that are going to come up. But that being said, the way I like to explain exoskin to people is we are your best protection against chafing blisters, hotspots, and we also prevent your gear from smelling like death uh, <laughs> after you wear it a, a few days. Um, but to answer your question, it, it comes down to the materials and the design and the knitting. Um, and that's what sets exoskin apart is uh, the owner has spent almost 30 years in performance textiles. Um, his primary business is selling our patented yarns to major brands. So his customers are Asics, Adidas, Merrill, Solomon. And what drove him to create Exoskin is the fact that all of those brands like to use a little bit of technology and a lot of creating marketing, creative marketing. Uh, technology is expensive and innovation takes a long time, especially to create a product such as Exoskin. I mean, uh, we've been on the market uh, going on four years, but there were years of development before we even reached the market. So that that in kind of in and of itself is, is what makes Exoskin so unique. But we'll check in more with Croy in future episodes and hear more of the story behind Exoskin, and just really appreciate them. Croy took a big risk. If you look out in the running podcast world, uh, Exoskin supports quite a few podcasts now, and Croy took the first risk in any podcast with me. And so I'm just really appreciative of continuing to partner with them. And I just love their products. It's as simple as that. That's what I would use regardless if they were supporting the podcast. So let's get to it. Podcast episode 133. we could just free ourselves of our perceived limitations and tap into our internal fire, the possibilities are endless. I'll tell you about when it happened in the race, but to be honest with you, it happened even before the race. It happened in the training. A great cause. Oh, thanks, man. I respect the shit out of that, man, so you keep doing what you do, man. Keep inspiring. Jam Jam, Jamil Curry here from Era Viper Running, and welcome to the Training for Ultra Podcast. For all you kids out there, Stay safe and stay strong. Hi, this is Alex Nichols. Uh, welcome to the Training for Ultra podcast. I was physically totally wrecked. I, I had nothing left. I figured I might as well move as quickly as possible towards the finish line if I was going to be moving towards it anyways. How do you even do that? You, I, P, just quit now. Come drink with me. 100 miles is not that far. Hey, this is Tommy Byrne with Bigger Than the Trail, and you're listening to WT4U Denver. We're talking about bonking. 
Hey, this is Carl Meltzer, the Speed Goat, and I want to welcome everybody to the Training for Ultra podcast. Welcome to episode 133 of the Training for Ultra podcast. My name is Rob. I also go by Training for Ultra, and this is an exciting episode. Very first interview ever on a podcast of Sarah Emoto. Just wait until you hear how she follows up her very first ultra. This is her first time being interviewed on a podcast. She needs to be on a lot more podcasts. She's super, super talented. I find her inspirational. You know, she has two kids, lives a busy life, and fits it all in somehow. I want to find out more. Sarah, thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm super excited I, to I, be here. Truly, I, I can't believe you haven't been on a podcast. You haven't been interviewed before. You've done so much. You're a part of the community, whether you realize it or not. Like You have an impact on people and... I'm just, I'm thankful to get to talk to you. Yeah. So I'm, I'm like I said, I'm excited to be on here and, and chat with you about all things running and ultra, I guess. So where, where are you coming from? West coast? What, yes. I'm in California. Um, just a little bit outside of LA. I've seen a few of your updates. I mean, one of them caught my eye just cause, uh, one of my two kids, Ben ran, the Air Viper Strong race, and it looked like your kids participated also. Is that true? They did, yeah. Um, I signed them up, and we did their first 10K race Cool. Um, as a virtual race. My stepdaughter, Nova, has done a 5K before, but this was their first 10K distance run, and they were super excited about it and had a really good time. So um, that was really fun for me to do with them. I did it with them individually um, so that they could each kind of have their own race and not worry about how fast the other one was going and um, stuff like that. So that was a really fun day. I I have yet to seen like a, a kid's update on a virtual race where there's not like a giant smile on the kid's face, really. I mean, as hot out or, you know, as comfortable as these races get, like the kids love it. I mean, they're they love being with their parents, and they like getting out and being active. I can't push it enough on, on the listener at this point. So it sounds like you, you had some fun yourself uh, during Aravipe is Strong. Is that true? I did, um, if, if, if fun is the word. I, <laughs> I, I ran 100 miles on a treadmill, um, which is, is not as, as fun as it maybe sounds. But, but I had a really good time. Uh, and I was excited that I was able to kind of do what I set out to do. And it, it was fun in its own way to sort of do a challenge where it's just you and, you know, there's no, you're, you're not really running for anything. It yeah. doesn't really count for anything, but it's, you know, it, it's a good sort of mental test. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, to do something like that. I don't think I've done a marathon on a treadmill before. I, have you? done long miles on treadmills in the past i have done a 50 miler on a treadmill twice okay um uh, not recently that, the last time i did it was probably maybe four or five years ago it, it takes it takes some patience <laughs> yeah and so where did the idea come up from because i mean we're all cooped up i just i always pictured you as someone that would get outside and opt like so There's that no was the original plan. You're gonna get me on a treadmill. 
that, that was the original plan was when I signed up, I was like, oh, I'll, I'll go find a route and, and do a hundred miles outside and, you know, self-supported and whatever. And then when I like sat down to plan it, I was just like, it's going to be too much work. And I'm, I'm tired of running on streets. And yeah. I was like, there's a couple trails I could go to that were open, but it would be like loops and and I was like, oh, I'll just run on the treadmill and it'll be easier and faster. <laughs> so that's what I did. And I assume Dennis, your husband, was supportive of the idea? or So he was he was better with the treadmill idea than me running around in the wee hours of the morning on the streets by myself. That's um, valid, yeah. So, so he was good with the treadmill. I went to my parents' house and used their treadmill in their garage. So it was like partially outside and not not quite stuck inside with recirculated air, which was, was the, the fresh air actually was a lot nicer. Um, cause the other two times I've run long on the treadmill has been like actually inside. I I'm still, I'm amazed. Uh, and I, I don't know how many people, how many of the listeners heard about what Sarah did, but I thought it was pretty freaking amazing. Like, uh, the fact, I mean, just within AirVipe is strong, you won overall for the 100-mile distance, but, I mean, your pace was pretty darn quick. I mean, do you want to, I don't want to overly focus on, on this race in itself, but, I mean, were there, like, one or two takeaways from running that fast on a treadmill that long? I, I think that the end takeaway for me was I can do it. <laughs> which was big because I had my last two races, I had like nutrition issues and didn't really get where I wanted to get. So, so having that kind of, and an, a high note for me, even if it was, you know, a virtual race, it was still like, yay, I can do this. And then I, I got to experiment a lot, which I don't usually do in a race. I don't experiment. I, I do what I've done before. Um, but what I did before wasn't working, so I, I I did some experimenting, which worked, thankfully. Yeah. And so, and 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 you know, a, a treadmill in a garage is a safe place to experiment with nutrition because, you know, if it if it doesn't work, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not out on a trail by myself. You're you're very close to the bathroom. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, if you don't mind me asking, what what did you change? Because I was there at desert solstice and i could just see the look on your face i was trying to be supportive uh yeah desert solstice like... wasn't a good time and and if you thought that wasn't a good time i i threw up after i left for about six hours and then like dry heaved more after that and so that was face. not a good time before, during, or after, really. Oh, yeah. um, so what I did differently, because I thought that was an anomaly, and then like the same thing happened at Jackpot, exactly. Wow. And so what I did um, when I ran on the treadmill was I, I ate significantly less um, than I usually do. I thought maybe I was just putting too much in me. and Because I, I usually like try to calculate and do math and figure out like you know calories burned and this is what I need to be putting in and try to consume a certain amount per hour which works fine for like 240 miles <laughs> because my body's not moving at I think the same pace you know it's more like hiking and slow jogging 
And I think when I try to run faster, it's like my body can't process all of the food I was putting in correctly. Maybe. I don't know. I'm not a like, dietitian. I don't actually know the science of these things. Um, but I, I, what I did on the treadmill was I ate maybe like two-thirds of what I had been and, and also ate slower. So instead of trying to like eat a whole bar or something like in one go, I would take a bite and then run, you know, a mile and a half or two and then take another bite and just like consume it slower is the other That's thing I That's fast. I've, I've been having trouble myself. I mean, at across the years, just hitting the 70 mile mark and just like hitting a wall like I've never hit before. I thought I was under on calories, but I mean, we, you're faster than I am, but for like a race like Moab 240, I just hadn't thought of that comparison. So that's really fascinating. Eating, kind of like breaking up, trickling it in more, and then like actually reducing it by like 25% or whatever. Yeah, that's that's what it ended up being. And, and like I said, I was kind of just experimenting. I didn't go with like a set number. I was just like, I'm going to not try to get to a point where I'm hungry or feeling depleted, but also just trying to see if putting less in me made me less sick, (laughs) which I I actually didn't have any moments where I was like crampy or feeling like I was going to throw up or anything. So the thing I was worried about is like, if I'm, is I'm, was I going to feel really bad the next day if I didn't put enough into me, Mm -hmm. but I actually felt fine the next day. I didn't feel overly like nutritionally depleted or anything. I felt like I was okay considering. A lot less time on your feet, that's for sure. Yes, yes, that was was good. (laughs) It was actually kind of a bummer about that is somehow I managed to get like a purple toenail and I think I'm going to lose it. And I don't know how I did that on the treadmill. I get more blisters and stuff on the treadmill. I mean, besides like a techie, like Black Canyon 100K. Where I'm kicking, punting rocks. Um, I I actually have trouble with that on treadmills. I think my stride's different. I'm like I hammer some toes differently, and stride's just slightly different. How how did you finish? How was your time? Did you have a goal time? Were you happy with that? Like I wish I was trying really hard. Like my basic goal was under 17 hours. Um, and then I got to a point where I was like doing math in my head and I was like, oh, I can actually do under 1630. And then towards the end, I, I tried to just run as fast as I can and I was able to hit 1615. So I was, I was really stoked about that. 1615. That's awesome. On a treadmill too. Uh, it was, and I had to reset the treadmill every 10 miles cause it, it times out at an hour and 40 minutes. Oh, that's obnoxious. Um, so it, that's it was totally a little bit, obnoxious. yeah, <laughs> it was a little yeah. bit, but it was like, you know, a free break in the middle. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Um, so share how you handle running on a treadmill that long. Like, do you have mental tricks? Did you have a TV? Were you listening to music? Are you big? I'm sure you're just a regular podcast listener, right? I, I've, I've never listened to a podcast in my life, um, but that's going to change soon. I, I didn't have a TV. I, I did listen to music. I mostly listened to Dvorak's Ninth Symphony um, on repeat, which I know is kind of weird, but that's my jam right now. It would have um, it. If I could run a 1615, I'll list anything. <laughs> um, I, I, I didn't really, I tried to not think 
too much about anything. I was just trying to like think about running and focus on like, okay, I'm doing this mile at this pace. And then, you know, once that mile was done, it was like, okay, I just, I need to do this mile at this pace. And then I'm going to slow down a little bit and then I'm going to speed back up. And then, um, doing it in the 10 mile increments helped a little bit actually, cause it made it, you know, doable chunks. Interesting. So tell me, let's, let's step away from air Viper and, and your treadmill run. I still am blown away. And big congrats, honestly. That's that's huge. When did this all start? When did you start running? Like, when were you interested in this whole idea? Uh, I started running. I, I did my first 5K when I was eight uh, with my dad. And after that, I did, uh, you know, he, he would sign us up for a few more 5Ks. And I would run around my neighborhood. And when I was in ninth grade... Well, actually, when I was in eighth grade, my eighth grade English teacher, he used to run marathon. He would run the LA Marathon every year, and he would come into class and tell us about it. And I came back one day, and I was like, oh, someday I want to run a marathon. And my dad was like, oh, you couldn't run a marathon. And I was like, <laughs> oh, yes, I could. So then I, I signed up kind of right away um, for the LA Marathon the following year. And then I ran it when I was in ninth grade and. Um, it was wow. really hot that year. I remember. I think it was like ninety nine or maybe even a hundred, and it took me like six and a half hours to finish. And I was like, "Oh, I'm never doing this again." It was so hard, and I hurt so much, and it was just hot and miserable. And and then I I still ran after that, but I was like, "Oh, I'm, I don't need to run long anymore." And then two years later, I was like, oh, I think I'll, I'll do that again because that was a good time. <laughs> and so I signed up and I did the LA Marathon again. And then and then I did another one. And then it kind of, you know, turns into that thing that you do all the time. And then when I was in college, I don't remember even how I heard about ultra marathons, but I just remember randomly like hearing that people run 50 miles sometimes or 100 miles. And I was like, oh you know, this is, this is something else I can do. And I signed up for a 50 miler and I was really impatient about it. And I was like, well, I don't know what I'm doing. This was my senior year in college. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing after I graduate. So I can't pick one that's, you know, several months away. So I picked one that was like six weeks away. That was local. It was the Leona divide 50 miler. And I'd never run farther than 26 miles. And I'd never run on a trail before. Wow. And I went out and did that one. And I think, I don't know how much gain it has. I think it has like 9,000 maybe. I don't remember. It was a a lot of climbing for someone who's never climbed anything. I I think I finished very close to last, not quite last, but very close to last and and very close to cutoff. But I did it. And then I, that was how I got into this, I guess. That's what did it? Wow. (laughs) So it was a long time coming a, a since I was eight that, years old. <laughs> that's what ends it, not starts it. That's really fascinating. I think it's weird. I feel like Michelle Barton has the course record there for some reason. Or had it. I certainly do not have the course record there. Well, uh, <laughs> and so you got a taste of ultra running. What was it that you liked so much? Because normally if you're just missing cutoffs and you barely squeak into the finish of 
but I would say an arguably hard 50 miler, that's when people take a step back and reevaluate. It sounds like you kind of did the opposite. What was it about that experience that made you so enamored with it? I, th- I think it was partly that I was able to do it at all. Because there was a point, I think, at like mile 43 or 44, it was after I left the last aid station where I was like really considering I was just going to like stop and sit on the trail and wait for somebody to come find me because I was at that point. <laughs> and and I just remember like standing there and I was all like crying and tired and miserable. And I was like, well, you know, I, I could be done with today and say I ran 43 miles or I could just, you know, try really hard to run seven more miles. And then I could, you know, say I ran 50 miles and I, I decided, you know, I should, it's seven more miles. I could probably do it. And the like little click in your brain that happens when you're on the fence like that, um, I think is what stuck with me is like, you know, having the power to control your body, even when your body's like, no, we're done. I think that kind of stuck with me. Where Where's that emanate from? Like, cause you seem to have a natural gift or this is practiced or you have something that allows you to maybe remove yourself from the physical and just like you can mentally get yourself to finish lines. Is that safe to say? I, I think so. A lot of the times, I don't know that it's true all of the time because I have, you know, my good share of DNFs. But but I, I, th- I think that is definitely there. And I, I rely on that a lot because um, it's, it's not ever really easy. No matter how many of these things you run, it, it's never easy. <laughs> yeah. Which I think is the other thing I like about it is that no matter how many races you run or how much I practice or, you know, it's not getting faster or better at it doesn't make it easier, which I think is one of the things I like about ultra running and endurance in general is that it's always going to be hard. I couldn't agree more. You always, you earn the belt buckle or the finish line, like regardless, like it's well earned and satisfying. Uh, Do you meditate at all? Like, is that something you're regularly doing while you run or you is your mind racing while you run sometimes both sometimes I try to really control my thoughts and and be really focused and sort of like blank slate mind if that makes sense um where I'm not letting other thoughts in or not yeah you know wandering around thinking about work or you know other stuff and I try to be really focused and just thinking on about running and you know my form and what I'm putting in me and other times I do sort of intentionally try to distract my mind and think about other things if I'm not having a good time I think I do both interesting yeah I I totally relate with the blank slate comment like I I try to describe it as like turning off the slide deck in my head essentially but I I really like how you describe that so you finish your first 50 miler. How, <laughs> um, and if you're listening, maybe sit down somewhere. How do you follow up uh, your first 50 miler? Like, what's the progression here? The progression that I took 
<laughs> um, is that I decided if I could, you know, finish a 50 miler, I could probably run across the country. And I was graduating and didn't have a good plan for what I was going to do afterward. So I thought that was a good thing to do. <laughs> it, it was something in my head. And I thought, That's amazing, you know, oh, I'll go do this when I'm old and retired and have all the time in the world. And then I realized I'm I'm young and unemployed and have all the time in the world. So so I decided to go do that shortly after I graduated from college in 2011, which is almost, I guess that's nine years ago now, which makes me feel really old. Um, <laughs> I think it's genius. I think, honestly, more college graduates should take their first year out of college and find their passion in life honestly maybe even before college but i i think it's really cool i'm i'm a huge fan i want to hear how this run went and we could probably talk for the we could have a whole podcast series on it but how did it start just walk me through this run across the united states like where did you start and i'm dying to so know my, if you my- actually did it or not um, I did. I, I, I finished. I, I made it to New York on December 3rd, uh, 2011, because oh. I timed it really well and started on the West Coast in the middle of the summer and ended in New York in December. That's amazing. But but my grand idea when I when I decided I was going to do this and I told my parents, I was like, I'm just going to I'm going to get a jogging stroller because that's what people do when they run across the countries. You know, they push a stroller with all their supplies. And my dad is a retired cop and he was like, no way are you doing that by yourself. <laughs> And so I was like, well, I'm, I'm going to do it, though. And uh, my dad was like, okay, I'll go with you. And I was like, okay, sure. So we, we brought our, he drove our camping trailer, and we went on this big adventure. Um, I started in Huntington Beach and ran to New York. Um, it took me about four months. I, I averaged, I think, about 25 to 30 miles a day. Towards the end, I was trying really hard to be done, and I did some closer to 40-mile days. You had only run, like, (laughs) a few marathons and one 50-miler, and then you you jumped into doing 20 or 30-mile days for months. (laughs) Yeah, I I had no idea what I was actually getting myself into. (laughs) I mean, was there a benefit to, you know, ignorance is bliss? Just let's start running. A little bit. A little bit. There was, I think, because I think if I had known at the beginning what I was doing, I probably would have been like, no, this is not a good idea. So so I I do think there was a little bit of ignorance is bliss going on um, that stayed with me for the first maybe half of it. And then I was like, oh, this just sucks now. (laughs) So you, within your one ultra... Did you learn anything about hydration, nutrition, chafing? Like, I can't imagine going out to run across the United States and having no squirrels, nut butter, whatever at that point was available for you. Like, were you in tune with that type of stuff? Had you done research or? I, no, it was, I learned as I went. I, I didn't even actually even have a route. My my parents asked me that too, and I went onto Google Maps and and did walking directions from Huntington Beach to New York and printed it out. <laughs> That's amazing. And then my my mom would kind of like call, you know, a few days ahead of when I was going to 
be a certain point and she would like zoom in and kind of give me directions. Um, especially when like the would turn into interstate and I would have to go around on side roads. She would kind of be our directions person. And I, I did have to do a little bit of bonus miles when I, I, I got lost a couple times and ran the wrong direction a couple times. And I've heard um, that's pretty normal. I think, I think Pete's told me about that type of thing. Like you can, ha- there's going to be hiccups. You're going 3,100 miles. Why did you choose the classic route? Like, it, cause it sounds like you just kind of Google mapped it. Like, had you actually researched any of the history behind it or? Were you just- nope. <laughs> the history major. Oh, um. No, I, I didn't, I didn't, I just, I, I knew I wanted to run to New York and I just, I started in Huntington Beach because there's a bike path that goes quite a ways from Huntington Beach inland. And so that made that little first part easy to plan a route. And then I, I didn't want to run in the South and through all the kind of like boring parts. So I was like, oh, I want to go through Colorado because it's pretty. And and then, you know, it's, it's hilly. A lot it was less oxygen, yeah. Uh, it was really beautiful when I went through Colorado because all the leaves were just changing color, and so it was probably one of my favorite sort of scenic places to run through. So um, tell me, do you have two or three takeaways from what arguably could just be a book? I mean, I, I know you got to summarize this down, but were there like two or three takeaways and like how did your relationship with your dad develop over these miles? And it sounds like, it sounds like you have super supportive parents that were super crew throughout this whole thing for you. And I I don't know, like, tell me what, what were the two or three takeaways? So yes, my parents are awesome. And they've like gone my whole life with just being like, yes, Sarah, if you want to do that, that's totally insane, but, but we'll be there. Um, and what's funny is my mom told me afterwards, she's like, you know, it wasn't until you got through Colorado that I actually thought you were going to make it. And I was like, well, thanks mom for believing in me. (laughs) But, but, you know, she was just like, but I, but I wasn't going to tell you, no, you shouldn't do this. I was just going to let you go do it. I, I guess that's cool of her. And my dad, it was, you know, he was super crew. He would, he didn't like leaving me too far behind so he would drive like 10 miles and wait for me to catch up to the car and then like hand me water and snacks and then drive another 10 miles I think he read a lot of books during this time I imagine I'm not actually sure what he did the whole time but he was a great he was a great crew and he you know did all my cooking and did your did your guys relationship develop or did it like degrade like so we have a very small trailer, um, <laughs> and it got smaller, but, but I, at, at the end of it, and you know, the older I get, the more I appreciate what he did for me. It's, yeah. That's a long time to sit around, That's amazing. you know, driving, taking four months to drive across the country. So, so the, the one takeaway from my family is that they're awesome. My mom would like send me care packages and, and stuff new shoes when I needed new shoes and <laughs> she many, came out for the last couple weeks and, and shoes, was there. How many shoes I, did you? I think I went through like 10 pairs of shoes. I, I don't recall exactly, but that sounds right. 300, pa- 300 miles a pair. That's pretty good. Yeah. I, I didn't have any major injuries, which was pretty cool. I fell a lot 
that's my thing. That's my trademark is I fall and I have bloody knees. Um, but other than that, I didn't have any medical issues or um, injuries. So that was good. That's phenomenal. Um, like oh, no, that, I take that back. I, I came gifted. down with shingles. Okay. You get sh- I forgot of, about that. Of all of everything. <laughs> yes, shingles in the middle of my run. And I remember going to the doctor and the doctor was like, you're too young to have shingles. And then was like, nope, nope, you have it. Other than that, I was fine. What did uh, you learn about yourself throughout this? You know, towards the beginning, it was very like adventurous and liberating. And, you know, I was 21 when I started and I was like, oh, this is, you know, I have my whole life ahead of me. And it was all very kind of metaphorical and grand. And then in the middle, it was difficult. (laughs) Um, I was starting to feel like, you know, this is never going to end. I'm never going to get there. Um, especially in the like really sort of wide states where it's like, I'm, you know, I'm still running through Kansas. Mm-hmm. That's how it feels it, driving. It, 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 right. It, it feels <laughs> endless. And you know, like, you can see the road forever in front of you. Cause it's so flat. We um, love you listeners in Kansas, <laughs> by the way. I love Kansas, but the scenery um, stays the same quite often. That's all. Yeah, the, uh, yeah it does. <laughs> um, and during that point, you know, I, I hadn't, I think, run and run the 150 miler <laughs> that I did. Um, but I hadn't run enough ultras to to know all the mind tricks yet or to know what to tell myself. Like now I have sort of standard, you know, things I can work around with my brain if I'm getting in a tough spot. But then it was just like, I, I didn't know. I just I just knew it was hard and it hurt. <laughs> And so I, I struggled sort of talking myself into it in the morning. I would get up and I would think like, oh, I have to go do this all over again. And I would, you know, be literally staring down a road with five or six in the morning and being like, okay, here, this is my day, you know, for the next however many hours it takes me to get to whatever point I, I wanted to get to that day. And then once I got, you know, closer to the East Coast, I started getting bad. That was hard to when it's cold and rainy and windy. I don't want to drive in New York city in <laughs> December, let alone. Yeah. That's insane. I, let's take a step back. And I think this is the reason I'm so excited to talk to you. You said something that not many people know about. You said, I have kind of standard procedures essentially to go through to like, when you hit a rough spot, you didn't understand certain thoughts that you might have and you have kind of like a standard procedure. Can you tell me more about that? Like how do you handle those times or or walk me through kind of like what you're trying to express there? So, so some of what I, I I think it's been gradual. I don't think I woke up one day and like knew the magic secret. Um, I think I, I learned little bits in each, each time I, you know, put myself out there and have to overcome something. Um, and so it's kind of accumulated, but a lot of when it, when it gets really hard and I'm doing something like a 200 miler, a lot of what I try to think about is specific times where it's been hard before. And I'm like, oh, well, at least it's not that time. <laughs> um, and, and so a lot of what I learned running across the country is, you know, m- most of what I'm doing is probably not as hard as what I did that time. <laughs> and so, you know, I, even though I was only running 25 or 30 miles a day, the, the total combined toll that took on me, I don't think 
I've ever been anywhere close to that exhausted since then. I don't think it, it's hard because it's all relative. But so sometimes I, I even just pull on that specific, you know, running to New York. It's like, oh, well, what I'm experiencing right now is hard, but I've done these other hard things before is is one sort of trick I tell myself. You're like, this isn't um, even Kansas. Like, I can do all Moab 240. <laughs> I, I don't know how far across Kansas is, but, oh, that's interesting. You got it all out of the way early. I, I guess, yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I, I still find myself in, in, in harder, hard situations where I'm either in a lot of pain or I'm really tired or, you know, cold or night. I don't like the night. I don't know if many people do. I know my husband really likes running in the night. It's not my thing. And so every time, and like, you know, most of the races I do involve being out at night. I, so I don't mind it. I mean, a, I, a lot of, a lot I have of a good people light. like it. Do you, do you use a Kogala? You did the I, triple. I, you... I don't. Okay. But I, I, the amount of light around me sort of doesn't matter. It's just the, you know, all surrounding darkness that I think gets to me. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure. Cause I, I've even, you know, even times when I'm running and the moon is so bright, I don't even need a headlight. I still don't like it. See, I, I, I just don't. That's how I started, <laughs> but I, I don't know, like Tahoe 200 it, last year, it goes around mile hundred to one twenty. I did solo and just in, I think it was like maybe 2 AM or yeah, it was 2 AM for 20 miles by myself and I didn't see like more than one person the whole time and it was like borderline religious experience for me you also hallucinate out of your mind at night it, it makes things a lot more difficult but I get it trust me let's let's shift gears and I mean any last thoughts on running across the United States you were not doing 175 mile training weeks right I wasn't my my <laughs> my thought process was sort of before I, I started like I could train really hard but then I would just be more tired when I started so <laughs> that was my my thought process and I was like so I'll just I'll just do you know I'll taper for it is is what I thought you're fearless you're totally fearless let's hear more about so how did you I, I can't get off this like how how was it like Coming into New York City. I got to hear about this finish line. This is so ridiculous. Like, was it snowing in New York it City? It wasn't. It was actually a nice okay. day for New York in December, I think. Um, I actually got to wear shorts, so it couldn't have wow. been that cold. Summer, yeah. <laughs> um, it was sunny and clear. So I, I should back up because I meant to mention this earlier, and then we, I think, got distracted. The One of the things I wanted to do with my run was sort of use it as a tribute to police officers and military and firefighters. Cool. Um, so I called it Remember Our Heroes Run Across America. And the sort of last takeaway from this and that to tie in with the finish uh, there is um, the running community is really, really amazing. I had people along the whole way who would come out and just run with me for, you know, anywhere from three miles to the whole 25 miles or 30 miles I was doing that day, which was really awesome and like, really good for my brain <laughs> to yeah. have company once in a while. Um, it wasn't, you know, very many of the days, but it was enough of them spread out ar across the whole time that it was very welcoming to have, have someone 
next to me for a little bit. And then when I got to New York, there were a few runners from the NYPD running club that came out and, and ran with me. I had 19 miles to do my last day. My mom lied to me and said I had 13, but I had 19. That's um, actually, that's the worst thing <laughs> she could have done. <laughs> but it was really fun and ran. It was actually my first time to New York, too. I, I'd never been to New York. And my first time there, I, I got to run into it. So that was pretty cool. Um, I finished in, in Battery Park. And there's a little boat harbor there. There is. And my mom insisted I needed to put my feet in the water, even though it was cold. So I did. And, and there's a, a picture of me like sitting on this little boat dock with my feet in the water at the end of it. So was who was most relieved at the finish of this? Was it your mom, your dad, or you? Oh, um, probably my parents. <laughs> <laughs> I know they were really worried about me the last couple weeks. I was really out of it. And they had to a couple times like I would stop running for the day and I would just kind of like collapse on the street and they'd like scrape me up and put me in the car. Um, <laughs> and I know my mom was really worried about me and I'm always like really thankful that she let me keep doing it and didn't ever say like, mm, you should maybe, you know, take a week off or something. So I, I think they were really worried towards the end. I was mm -hmm. kind of loopy and out of it. And <laughs> what, I mean, what, what went through your head when you put your feet in the water and you looked out? I assume you looked at the Statue of Liberty? I did, yeah. Um, it was, you know, it's kind of far away, but I could see it. And um, there's another picture of me with that in the background. It, I, I remember feeling, like, really happy that it was done and I did it and it was now, like, complete. But also... And I, and I think, you know, this is why I, I still keep doing what I do. I, I re distinctly remember feeling almost remorse that it's over. Yeah. You know, that like this whole time I've been wanting it to be over so I could be done. And then now that it's done, I want to be able to keep doing it. I remember feeling that. And, and I feel that, you know, even when I, I do races now, it's like you get to the finish line and, you know, everybody's cheering and it's happy and it's wonderful and you're done. But then also you're like well now it's done yeah and what's next <laughs> no i i couldn't agree more yeah that's amazing you work full-time right i so i i normally work full-time right, right now right, i'm right. my kids are home from school and so i'm i'm working like 70 hours a week instead of 80 <laughs> just because that way i can dedicate a little bit of time to to the homeschool and they're not just you know running amok all day uh we yeah <laughs> i have two kids i have uh, immense respect that you are able to function uh with that busy of a life i mean where do we go from here you already did probably one of the most epic things an ultra runner can do you'd run 150 miler previously it's amazing to me it's truly amazing I mean, where did you go from there? Because I know I felt like a ship kind of lost at sea after doing Moab 240. And, I mean, I assume you're very goal-oriented. How do you even begin to set goals and get excited after doing pretty much the most epic thing you can do? So I, I definitely struggled with that afterward. 
I, I think I still, to an extent, struggle with that a little bit. And I, I, I do try to find things that can somewhat recreate what I felt out there. I mean, that's why I'm drawn to the particularly long events like 200s, because that's close to replicating that yeah. feeling. But I, I did struggle with that a lot afterward of, of like, you know, well, what do I do now? And then I was like, well, now I guess I go run 100 milers and I, you know, got myself into trail running and and I totally enjoy that and love that. And I love the community and I, I miss it right now in this weird time where we don't all get to hang out. <laughs> but I, I guess I'm I'm still sort of searching for like what's next. And I always tell myself I'm going to, you know, do it again, maybe differently maybe the other direction maybe somewhere else I don't know um but I, I kind of keep that in my head that you know it it was it's done and it's over but it's not something I can't do again yeah I mean is there anything running related that you can't do do you do you see any limits on your capabilities because I mean if you have unlimited resources and unlimited time is there anything you can't complete on your two feet so i think my, my my stepdaughter asked me when she was looking at the aravipa strong results that somebody had run like a 15 minute 5k or something super ridiculous and she was like could you run that and i was like no way so yes i do <laughs> think i have limits <laughs> distance wise i don't know i i like i don't i don't think so but i don't know i mean i'm al- always looking for sort of new uncharted waters to to see which i think is is part of the fun with endurance events is you know sometimes you don't know if you can do it but you think you can that's that's my glitch <laughs> <laughs> i i have trouble yeah i have to sign up for something if i don't think i can do it that's like that's the best finish line in the world when you cross it and you didn't think you could actually do it as you know when you hit battery park how how did the triple crown anywhere like compare to running across the united states like it's totally different running as you know but like try to compare the two if you can so it it when I, when I, at the beginning of it, I kind of had this mindset of like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to rely on my experience running across the country to sort of get me through this, um, if I need to. And it, it's different because it's, you know, three individual segments that you have to complete each one. So it's, it's, it, it feels like the, um, the stakes are higher in each one, you know? Because mm-hmm. if you like don't complete one of them, then you don't complete the whole triple crown. The risk I'm, reward when you're out there is hard, right? right. It, like yeah. a twisted ankle, mile twenty of Bigfoot. I mean, it sucks. Right. <laughs> and and, there, and there's so much uncertainty in those type of races. You know, there's so much that can go wrong that you don't even know can go wrong until it goes wrong. Until it happens. And and so I mean, I felt really fortunate to be able to complete it. And I, I do think some of that was sheer luck. <laughs> and I, you know, I didn't, I didn't twist my ankle. I didn't fall and hurt myself. And I, I fell a lot of times. So I was actually really lucky that I didn't hurt myself. 
And, you know, I didn't get sick or anything. I didn't get lost significantly um, or for very long. I guess I think everybody gets lost for a little bit. But I didn't I didn't spend hours and hours lost. So that was good. But it was exhausting differently because, you know, you do get to go home after the one race and recover for a few weeks before you have to go do the other one. So I don't know. I mean, there it's, it's a, it was a very challenging event to take on. And I, you know, I, I struggle between like wanting to do it again and not wanting to do it again. (laughs) Cause I'm like, Oh, it was, you know, crossing the finish line at Moab after, after Bigfoot and Tahoe was so, it felt so good. But then also it was just like, you know, those, those, Three months, even the time between the races were exhausting because you, you didn't have enough time to recover and like totally prepare for the next one. And it was. And it's just, it's not just physical recovery either. It's like you've been away from your job for a week, like you've been away from your family for a week. So that stress increases while your physical stress is trying to recover. Yeah. It's like it really was, more complicated than I think most people realize. It's, very mentally exhausting. Yeah. Um, I think probably more so um, than, your, than physically. What was your favorite of the three? That's I'm sure you've got that 25 times on social media from someone. Um, Moab is my favorite. <laughs> okay. Why, why um, I'm running that? it again this year. <laughs> Me too. Why, why um, is that? So I, I love the desert and I like that it's runnable. Yes. Um, I, I like climbing. I like mountains and I like, you know, vertical gain and all that good stuff. But I also like to just be able to run and, and Bigfoot. There's not quite as much runnable. Is Bigfoot not the most beautiful? Um, Tahoe, though? there's some, but I had a really miserable time at Tahoe and I didn't enjoy any of it. <laughs> um, Same here. But is it, is it uh, Bigfoot beautiful? Bigfoot's really beautiful. And it, it it's I scenery. Scenery would be a toss-up because I love the desert scenery too, okay. and I like the changing scenery in Moab because you run through so many different yeah. sort of environments. But Bigfoot, the the views on top of some of those mountains are really beautiful. I think it's awesome. Not only that you completed it, but then Dennis also completed it. And what's really weird is Sarah and I were chatting before we started here, and I distinctly, I have this weird kind of like stupid photographic memory where I can see things, and I distinctly remember the beginning of 2018, uh, there was a couple holding hands as they started Moab 240, just put the pieces together now that it seems like that was likely you sarah and dennis right probably was we we would we would do that at the beginning of of the races because i would only hang with him for a little bit and then i would leave him (laughs) then you drop Um, him then i would drop him (laughs) Uh, but but we did i think we held hands at all of the races for a little bit at the beginning um i think scott has a couple photos of us holding hands and, and running and he did the triple crown yeah, he did the Triple Crown, too. And so our household was just really tired for three months. <laughs> Your kids are like, get rid of these belt buckles, guys. Like, it's starting to pile up. <laughs> God, we could talk about Hurt for a whole episode. And I, I was thinking about inviting a friend that just finished it on to to chat with you. And we'll have to stay in touch because, honestly, your experience just insights and everything are just off the charts so please stay in touch because 
uh, we're just kind of like scratching the surface here. Let's briefly talk Desert Solstice, and then I want to take a step back into Moab 240 from just last year, and then I'm sure you got a million things to, to do, but... Hey, I swear I saw Dennis at Desert Solstice. Was he there for that? Race? He was there. Yep, he he okay. was there crewing me. I, think I took a picture with him or something because he had the Moab 240 hoodie on. Yes, that would be him. <laughs> okay, cool. I was there just for um, Kyle Pietari, and I had the camera, and I was trying to take photos, and I had like the super zoom lens on people's faces, and your face was just kind of agonized for quite some time and i was talking to your crew i want to say who did you have on crew there um dennis and then our friend willem uh was there she uh, yeah she was super nice was it going well for you like at all like was the first 20 miles remember feeling like it was ever going well (laughs) (laughs) i don't even from the beginning i kind of remember feeling like this doesn't this isn't going to be fun. So, I mean, th- that mindset might have contributed to something. I don't know. But I, I don't remember ever feeling very awesome at all. <laughs> <laughs> and this was, was this different for you? Because you'd been doing so many trail type events. It was. And beyond- honestly, I'd never run on a track um, until about a month before that. I, I've, I've done loop races before, but not quite as short of a loop. Um, so that was new. So yeah, it was new and different and I learned <laughs> and I don't know, hopefully next time we'll be better. I was just trying to get you to smile. I was, I felt almost awkward trying to like <laughs> say something positive. So a quarter, a quarter of a mile from now you could smile, um, but you had the hurt hat on. You're just grinding it out. You're, you're tough. Seriously. I try to wear my hurt hat because then I remind myself that nothing hurts more than hurt hurts. (laughs) And and sometimes that works. Do you have like a run across the United States hat? Because that's what I'd wear all the time. I don't. I don't. Do they make those? Is that a thing? I I don't know. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) I'm going to backtrack into Moab 240. I'll throw a few random questions at you at the end and... I'm just, again, I want to stay in touch because you are just so knowledgeable and you're a really nice person. I I can't believe you squeeze all of what you do into your days. How, I mean, you've done the race, what, every year that it's it's been done so far? I have, um, so three times and this will be my fourth this year. Is there anything that sticks out at the beginning of this race compared to the previous two that was different at all last year's or yeah not really i can't at the beginning i don't i never like the beginning of races <laughs> it's always i don't know the first like 20 ish miles are always really hard for me for some reason and I, i'm never really quite sure why because you think it would be really exciting and fun at the beginning but um i have a harder time mentally with with the first few miles that's interesting both 18 and 19 first 20 miles of moab were splendid you know like temperature wise and just really enjoyable miles for me at least i do remember the weather being nice sunny yeah and then i mean you have the sun to your back even like once you do that initial climb so 
were you trying to win Moab 240 this year or were you just going out for yourself? I mean, do you go out to win races or do you, are you signing up for these to just enjoy them for yourself? I try not to ever go into a race with the goal to win because that seems like a slippery slope and, and not that winning's bad. Winning's fun. But I, but I, having that as the main goal, I think I, I would enjoy things a lot less. So I, I try to go into races to do well. And I often have specific time goals for myself. And, you know, if that time goal puts me on the podium, then that's cool. And if there's faster people out there, then, you know, I'll still do my best. But so so winning's fun. I, li- I like to win. But I, I try not to go into a race having winning as as the sole motivating factor. I mean, were there any solid memories that you have of Moab 240 from 2019 besides when you blew past me and I was probably bonking and complaining? Um, so I, I uh, my husband paced me and, and apparently I was a little whiny going up Shea Mountain. <laughs> this is what he remembers. Pretty I normal there. I remember being tired. That's a sucky uh, road. <laughs> I, did, I did take a trail nap for like 10 minutes on a rock that I kind of remember. And then I remember the next day being being much better. Did you sleep at Shea? Did you have like a sleep car? I slept. Yeah, I slept. My, my dad came and crewed me and I slept in his, um, his truck at Shea Mountain. I think that was my first real sleep actually. Yeah, that was a rejuvenating sleep for me, at least. I was dying. I don't know what my problem was, but that climb, does that climb ever get better? I mean, it was slightly better for me because I wasn't bonking all the way up the hill, but that kind of like dirt, jeep road, gravel road. Oh, just going up to the aid station at the end? Yeah, after the downhill descent, you're like feeling good. It seems like it goes on for a while. And it seems like it gets longer every year. Because, <laughs> you know, in 2018, I was like, oh, I remember this part. And then it was a lot longer than I remembered. And then last year, I was like, oh, I remember this part. It's not that long. And then, you know, it was a lot longer than I remembered it being. It's a lot shorter when you're not on the ground, I've, uh-huh. I've noticed. If you actually on on two feet, those segments feel a lot better than, like, on your butt, eating, complaining, crying, whatever. <laughs> How much sleep do you typically do during these races? Because you're very experienced at the long-distance ultras. You're probably one of less than 100 people on the planet that have done this number of 200s, especially female. How how much how much sleep are you getting? How are you handling hallucinations? I So last year, I slept for an hour at Shea Mountain, which I think is mile 120. 20? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I slept at Glacier Pass, isn't it? Maybe? Yeah, I think so. I think it's Glacier something, which is the mile like two hundred, maybe, mm-hmm. if I if I recall. That's yeah, um, just about. So yeah. those are the two places I slept, and I slept, I think, for an hour at Shea Mountain, and maybe closer to an hour and a half at the second one. Is uh, that, so is that two pretty and typical? a half hours and a ten minute trail nap? Is that pretty typical for you, or do you sleep more or less? I think that was the least amount I've ever slept. I was going to say, that's like Sean Nakamura-type sleep Um, deprivation. Um, I I think the year before, I had three naps. I mean, how did that affect you? 
I was pretty sleepy. <laughs> I'm sure I had hallucinations. I don't remember any specific ones that were fun or exciting. I think I, I was just like more sleepwalking yeah. at times. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's bad when you don't even remember them. I truly think when you're so sleep deprived, your memory stops functioning, actually. And so did you sleep walk down that next 22 mile segment? No, because after I took my that second nap, I felt a lot better. Okay. Um, it was kind of the in-betweens that I wasn't. But the second nap, I when I woke up from that, I, from there to the end, I was okay, I think. So you got porcupine rim at, like, kind of hot, probably midday? Yeah, it was, it was maybe 9 or 10 in the morning, I think, when I got there. Because I finished, I think, for something and it just took me forever to go the last 13 miles <laughs> really which is okay. another one of those sections that huh. every year i think gets longer and harder and it, it seems like it should be easy because it's all downhill and it's just it just never is <laughs> okay so porcupine rim though during the day versus the night in my opinion is like whoa like you're on different planets you might as well be on the moon versus the so i've never had to do it at night I hallucinated um, through Porcupine Rim my first time. That was an experience. <laughs> yeah, I, I I probably would enjoy it even less if I had to go through it at night. <laughs> and I would probably fall a lot more. It's pretty dangerous. I think that's... I, but there would probably be less mountain bikers during the night. That is true. That's very true. Honestly, when we... If Moab 240 is on for 2020, like... I haven't thought about how many people are going to be in Moab and how many times we're going to have to pull off the trail for mountain bikers. It could be just totally outrageous. <laughs> it it might be. So maybe I, maybe I should hope to do it at night. <laughs> I mean, I'm impressed. You've done it every year. You came up runner up uh, for the Triple Crown. Is that right? For females. Yes, I females, think so. Yeah, runner up. Yeah, yeah. Your second ultra was over 3,100 miles? It was actually only 3,037.2 miles. That's probably just Google Maps is off. <laughs> or you, you took a fish. No, that was from my dad's odometer. <laughs> um, he, he measured it all, um, including all my backtracks and, and backwards things. You took like one of the more efficient routes ever recorded. Your mom nailed it. So... Really quick, last few questions here. Have you fine-tuned your diet for running? Or do you have, like, are those separate for you, one and the same? Or do you have any special dietary needs, um, restrictions? I So I'm a vegetarian and mostly vegan. I eat eggs sometimes and I eat dairy sometimes, mostly ice cream if, if I want it. But most of the time I, I'm vegan. And I... I don't know if what I eat like normally during the day is what, I mean, it's not really what I eat like during an ultra, but I also don't know if, if I fine tuned it. I'm always sort of experimenting and seeing what works and what doesn't. And sometimes, you know, in the middle of a 240 mile race, I'm like craving something and I'll eat the crappy like cup of noodle things because yep. they're salty and hot and, <laughs> <laughs> and it's okay that it has chicken broth. And so I, I, I don't have like a very strict plan other than I, I don't eat meat, but 
I, I don't know that I have it all figured out yet, though, either. Like, on a sort of micro-macro level of what and how much of what I should be putting in. Oh, that's helpful. And I don't want to call this part one because I respect your time too much. But, I mean, I still, I feel like we're scratching the surface with you. This is your first podcast. I know the listeners are going to love your story. And I wanted to finish on one last note. That during Tahoe 200, I had this, like, super helpful volunteer at, I want to say it was, like, Clickitat. Um, Bigfoot. Or Bigfoot. Bigfoot. Yeah, yeah, Bigfoot. I'm sorry. <laughs> Bigfoot. Click a tad aid station. I had this like really friendly volunteer helping me. And a lot of times the listeners like, I don't know how you pick your interviews and that sort of thing. But when I'm out there and I can actually see nice, genuine, helpful, like caring people, that definitely biases my uh, selection personally. But tell me about that. You volunteered at Bigfoot. I did. And I had so much fun. And I was just so absolutely thrilled I was not running last year with the weather <laughs> that you guys had. Yeah. Um, that was because even when I was like driving to the to the well to your guys's start line, but because my first volunteer shift was at the finish line for the hundred k at at Marble Mountain, and just even driving up the mountain in all that crazy thunder and lightning, I was just like, I this isn't fun. <laughs> and I was in my car and dry and warm. So yeah, props to you guys for for being out there because I, I don't think I would have finished. I don't know. But, but once I got to the aid station and, you know, all the lightning and thunder was done, I had a really good time volunteering and, and giving you guys like soup and, and water and grilled cheese and everything you guys needed. I, I had a lot of fun. I saw a lot of familiar faces and it was good to be on that side of it, you know, not just running, but also being on the volunteer side. Oh, I, I loved it. It was really cool seeing you out there. You're actually, you were positive and helpful, and I want you to become a regular podcast listener. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode. And oh, thank you for having me. I, I had a I had a fun time. <laughs> and I mean, where can people follow you on social media? I know you're a little shy with that type of stuff. Um, I'm on Instagram, and my my handle is just uh, my name, Sarah, and then dot emoto. I, I really appreciate your time. So let's stay in touch, and I, I definitely want to have you on a future episode. All right. Thanks, Rob. And that was episode 133 of the Training for Ultra podcast. Big thank you to Sarah for taking so much of her time. And just really appreciate your guys' support. Thank you to the Patreon supporters. Big thank you to Hammer Nutrition, Exoskin, Kogala, and Destination Trail. You guys make this all work. Don't forget to enjoy your training. Have a good week.